Father, this evening we just come to you. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you once again, Lord, for life itself, Lord. We thank you for this place. We thank you for giving us the freedom, the time, the opportunity to come together in your name. Now, as we go to the ministry of the word, I pray, Father, that you speak to us, Lord. Teach us, continuously teach us, Lord, that we may stand fast in faith all the days of our life and our faith growing stronger and stronger and stronger as time passes, that we receive more and more grace. For your word says, as sin abounds, grace will abound more. We need that grace in our life, Lord. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. <clears throat> this great man of God who passed away, I forgot his name. He said, uh, when a servant of God preaches, the pulpit should be so high and so broad that only his voice should be heard and he shouldn't be seen. <laughs> that prophecy has been fulfilled in your, <laughs> in, in your hearing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the verse, first verse for today is from Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Are we having it up, Rich? Yes. Okay, but I will read it for you while it's up on this little screen. Verse 4, when there was a situation in Jerusalem in the church, but leaving the context beside, <coughs> this is what the apostles, the leadership in the church said. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay. The, the early church, the early church is prioritizing life into two components, which is true for the leadership, which is true for everybody. One is prayer and the other is word or word and prayer. They are prioritizing their life into two major components from out of which will flow everything else. <clears throat> Next we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's epistle to the Corinthian church chapter 3 and I'll read from verse 13 <clears throat> to 17 or if it's up on the screen, somebody can read it. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the Bible here again talks about, we've been hearing about grace, Law and grace, law and truth. Okay, what's, what's similar about both the law and truth, both is the word of God. Both is the word of God. So the text is the same. Text is not different. The problem with the law is that as long as you read Moses, the old covenant, and a person hasn't really turned to Christ and the spirit of God hasn't come, the veil covers. The veil covers. But when a person turns to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes, if you read that verse uh, 17, 
it will say, now the Lord is the Spirit. Turning to Christ, meaning turning to the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. When one, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, so when you turn to the Spirit, when you rely upon the Spirit of God to read the Word of God, the veil is lifted. Otherwise, the veil is not lifted. The veil still covers our eyes, and we see the Word only as the law. So, when the apostles are talking about the ministry of the Word and the prayer, both, if you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul will say, pray in all kinds of prayers in the Spirit. So, even there in the prayer life, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come. Our prayer doesn't actually, the veil doesn't lift. We pray like the Jews prayed in the old covenant. It's a spirit that changes, changes our prayer life. Okay, please understand. The Holy Spirit has to come. Otherwise, the veil will cover our prayer life also because we actually do not know what to pray for. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul will say, uh, this is my prayer. Give us the spirit of this. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, it is a spirit that changes the word completely. It's a spirit that changes the our prayer life and our word life. Otherwise, remember in the old covenant also they had prayer and they had the word. But whenever they read it or they prayed, there was a whale that covered them because it's a spirit that changes everything. So we learn from the Old Testament, from the lives of people. And technically, there are so many we can learn from. Okay, but today we'll be learning primarily from one Old Testament character connected with this word and prayer. <clears throat> because the New Testament is primarily the unveiling. Okay, as long as you read Moses, the veil covers your eyes. And law is in your mind and you read the word of God only through the eyes of the law. <clears throat> so you always are under condemnation because the law only condemns. It does not help anybody. But scripture, as we read today, scripture says, in Christ, the veil is taken away. Okay? So we turn first to Daniel chapter 1, and we will read from verses 3 to 5. Daniel 1, book of Daniel, chapter 1, and we'll read from verses 3 to 5. We are reading the context, okay? Yeah. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of, kings, some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time, they might serve before the king. So if you look at the context, the context is the same with everybody. All the young people sitting over here, all of you. The context is the same. This is not a uh, spiritual context. These boys are not in some Bible college or seminary. They are right there in the world. The context is absolutely secular. Not even secular. It's a pagan religious setting, but for the secular service of the king, absolutely. Okay, it is not a kingdom setting, it is not a Bible college, it's not a Christian school, it is not GTLC, it is not a 
none of this. It's not in a Christian country where you are studying in school or college. It's none of this. Setting is absolutely worldly. Okay? And a young man, like any one of you out there, out in the world, <clears throat> looking at good career prospects, okay, got a break. I mean, he's got the break of his life in a career situation. But if you read from there, the next 12 chapters, all the 12 chapters is basically, context is spiritual. The 12 chapters of Daniel, though the context where it begins is secular, the 12 chapters is primarily spiritual about how the kingdom of God affects the lives of God's children. Okay? So we will look at four spiritual disciplines young Daniel had. Four spiritual disciplines young Daniel had in the world. In a secular, worldly, let's say carnal setting, four spiritual disciplines Daniel had, which God teaching us the unveiling that how it will help us. So first we turn to Daniel chapter 6. Okay, chapter 6. By the time you come to chapter 6, Daniel is an old man. He's not a young man. He's an old man. Okay? If you read verse 10, this is when the decree is passed that nobody can pray for 30 days. Okay. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Okay. So first thing you learn here, connected with this verse, is that from his childhood, childhood, maybe even before coming to Babylon, right from childhood, he had a discipline, which is called the discipline of prayer. Okay, he had a discipline. The first thing we see about Daniel, the reason behind Daniel standing all through the 12 chapters and the reason behind, forget his secular success. He was successful in the secular realm too. That is up to God. But spiritually, he was very successful in the age of captivity. He was an incredibly spiritually successful person, more than anybody else. Nehemiah or Ezra or Esther, you pick Anybody over there, he in the, the Babylonian captivity is the most spiritually successful person over there. Okay. And one of the first principles you see in him as a young person is that he had a discipline of prayer. He had a discipline of prayer. If you come to Daniel chapter 9, turn a couple of pages in your Bible and you read chapter 9 and read words 1 and 2. <clears throat> In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation. The Jeremiah. second thing you also see is that though he's a very, very busy man, He's a satrap in charge of 120 states. India has only around 30 states. 100 and stretching from all the way till India to Jerusalem. He is, his priority is studying the word of God. He has a discipline of prayer and he has a discipline of the word. He's studying Jeremiah's scrolls. 
I don't know where he got his hand on the scrolls, but he has a copy and he's studying the word. So you see two disciplines over there. Right in the friend, you learn about Daniel. He has a discipline of prayer and is a discipline of studying the word. And I can tell you this started early. You don't get this discipline at the age of 80. At the age of 80, especially the discipline of studying the word of God. You don't get it at 80. You have started it early to continue, especially to study the scrolls of Jeremiah and all. You have to start very, very early to understand and figure it out, okay? So there are two important disciplines in the kingdom of God. We learn a New Testament revelation through a character in the Old Testament. First is Prayer as a discipline, second study of word as a discipline. In Romans 12, 1, we all are very familiar with it. Romans 12, 1 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The question, question, first question is for what? Offering your bodies as a living sacrifice for what? The answer is the discipline of prayer and the discipline of studying the word of God. Okay, All the parents with small children, you start them off straight up. They don't have to understand what they're praying. Discipline is something else. Like if you ask any of these little children, Emmy or Joanna or any one of them, do you understand why you brush your teeth? They were never taken to a dentist and given a video presentation of what happens. No, they just told, do it. Do it. Do it. It's a discipline. Do it. Just do it. Just do it, okay? So they have to learn a discipline of reading the word of God and a discipline of praying. It's a discipline. You start very, very early until it becomes part of your nature, part of your character so that you can carry it forward because revelation will come later. There's no point in God giving revelation to people who have no discipline because it will be like Samson. He has revelation, no discipline. And then ultimately he is destroyed, okay? Discipline of the prayer and discipline of the word start inculcating when you are young because you do not know. You do not know. Like yesterday, I was uh, hearing, no, like uh, how you don't need, uh, like in so many countries, people are not able to meet like this. I heard yesterday, like all the big churches or practically all the churches in Singapore are not allowed to meet. So the pastors are preaching to them via video online because of the coronavirus okay so suddenly everything has changed you're not able to gather okay and you see the videos coming in from shanghai and beijing the mega cities streets are empty markets are empty colleges are closed schools are closed shopping malls are all empty the same thing will happen here if the virus hits here the government will shut down everything they shut down everything. In quarantine, people will not be allowed to go out and in. Okay. And further you go, it's interesting. Like another one which I was watching was that uh, in all these big, big cities in Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, all these cities, all the cities have an area which is called Chinatown. And that's where the Chinese live and the restaurants are famous. Okay. Now all the Chinatown restaurants in Australia are empty. People don't go there to eat. Because they are scared some Chinese has come from mainland and he's there and he's got coronavirus. And which could be true. So the economy of the Chinese people, it doesn't matter which part of the world are, is very badly being affected. 
Okay, very bad way. So it doesn't matter when the, I mean, I was like, you know, there's a lot of preachers, even in the city preaching, just speak Psalm 91 over you and the coronavirus won't affect you. No, it's all bunk up, okay? It doesn't work like that. Because you need to understand in Ezekiel 21, in 3, 4, when God says, God says, when I draw my sword out of my sheath, both the wicked and the righteous will perish. Okay, you need to understand scripture. Otherwise, I mean, I mean, it, that's why why we say, I, I was teaching in another church and I was saying, if you don't want to perish in famine, in pestilence, in war, you don't want to perish, there's only one way you cannot perish. You know your purpose. You cannot be killed before your purpose. And if you are a righteous Christian but no purpose, you will die in famine. Because God hasn't any reason to keep you alive. You will come home anyway. You don't have to be afraid of death. So famine hit David. Pestilence hit David, war hit David, David could not die, scripture says he fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and then he died. And all these things was hit during his regime. Okay, so please understand why we study scripture so that we understand God's purpose. We understand God, but Lord, this is my purpose. You have revealed to me my, my purpose and I'm aiming towards fulfilling your purpose. And to understand purpose, there are two foundational disciplines you need in life. One is to study your word. The other is the discipline of prayer. These are two foundational disciplines if you want to realize God's purpose in your life and fulfill in it your life, you will need these two. So we are basically looking at the kingdom of God. We are not looking at the kingdom of the world. So you will see Daniel, he is not beginning to pray or read or study the word because there is a problem in his life. That's what most Christians do. When they have problem, they're immediately looking. The brother, give me a promise, give me a promise. Please give me a word, give me words. No, no, they start praying. No, good times, bad times, all times. He had a discipline of praying and studying the word of God. Problems are irrelevant. No, problems were irrelevant in his life. He had this discipline. And we learned from these incredible people who lived thousands of years ago. They did not have the spirit. So the spirit literally did not speak to them. But they had spiritual disciplines which were from the kingdom of God. So that discipline is what we are trying to inculcate. Like I said, that was his priority. Though he was one of the busiest men in the kingdom. Because kings don't do anything. Primarily. They hand it over to people who can Actually, govern. If you think uh, the finance minister Nirmala Sitaraman is sitting with figures, she is not. It's all prepared by the bureaucrats. And she finally overall has to understand what is happening. If you think Prime Minister Modi is sitting there and working out administration, he is not. It's the IS officers and the collectors and the IP. They are the ones who run the country. So the king has 120 satraps, 120 satraps will have 12,200 below them. Below, It's a chain works like that. But they report to these three. And these three report to the king. So he's an incredibly busy man. But he has prioritized the kingdom of God in his life. He has a discipline of prayer and discipline of the word. In Psalm 55, verse 17, another busy man. Okay, this is the king. This is what he says. Got it? Evening and morning and at no, I will pray. He shall. Who is this King David? Evening and morning at noon time. Because the Jewish day begins from evening to evening. Okay, so he say evening, morning, and noon time. Why should a king pray for three times a day? Don't you have anything else to do? That's he. Okay, he says evening, morning. He was King David. He had great responsibilities. 
and he's saying evening morning and noon time i will pray he had a discipline of prayer so though he stumbled he could always rise back because he had two disciplines in his life one is the discipline of prayer and the other is the discipline of the word psalm 119 and verse 23 and 24 psalm 119 verse 23 and 24 got it princes also sit and speak against me mm. but your servant meditates on your statutes Your testimonies also are my delight and my counsel. Your testimonies, your word, your law, your word are my counselors and they are my delight. So here is another man who's got a discipline of prayer and a discipline of the word. Why is this important? Because it has got to do, like I told last week also, it's got to do with choices. Life is ultimately full of choices. and we are whatever we are at whatever stage we are the sum total of the choices we make and on average they calculated an average man makes around 5000 choices each day 5000 from the time you open your eyes to whether you want to keep it open <laughs> 5000 choices we have already made 3 4000 choices we have already made and we are choices now to make choices you and i need information information okay and almost all knowledge daniel acquired in the king's college university royal academy is temporary is human knowledge but what he received from god was spiritual and it was eternal we need both we need a lot of both i mean you need to go to school you need to study understand a lot but there is something that is temporary the world and that knowledge is passing away okay passing away like dr richard will be if he wants to be a doctor in heaven he will have no job because there is no sickness there okay he'll be jobless there okay so it's a good in this world medicine is an incredible incredible uh, Uh, knowledge it's incredible career but in heaven you will be jobless so while you pursue medicine you pursue god's kingdom and the knowledge okay so what we ultimately eternally and temporarily need is the knowledge of god which comes through word and prayer it is spiritual and it is eternal then second thing when you look at is word life and prayer life if you go to daniel chapter 1 Sorry, chapter Daniel, chapter nine, verse one and two. In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, mm. who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, mm. in the first year of his reign, I Daniel understood mm. by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Okay, That this is this is he's actually it's from Jeremiah twenty nine verse ten. He, he studied. He found seventy years are given for your people, and after that. But the question is now. The question is now. By the time you come to this point, Daniel is a very old man, and he's reached the pinnacle of his career, and he's not going back to Jerusalem. He's not going back to Jerusalem. He will never go back to Jerusalem. Yet he's studying and praying. for the sake of others not for himself you look at daniel 9 and verse 3 then i set my face toward the lord god to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting sackcloth and ashes ashes what daniel why should you do all this are you going back to jerusalem no 
Does den- Jerusalem's destiny change your life? No. So the next question God asks you is, do you have a discipline of prayer and study of the word which is selfless? We pray because it benefits us. We study the word of God because it benefits us. But Daniel's discipline of prayer and the study of the word was never for himself. It was never for himself. The second discipline, first you inculcate the discipline of studying the word and praying. And second, you go further, deeper and find out what is the nature of your prayer. Is it selfless? Is it selfless? Is it your study of the word for self or you are doing it even if you may not need it? You primarily don't need it. Look at his prayer in verses 4 to 6. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. Never in the prayer will he say they have. Never in the prayer he will say they have. He'll always say we have. So if you look at the prayer, the tone of the prayer and his study, everything is connected with outside himself. It's not for him. Because we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of stuff. It is for our own benefit. So the question is, how selfless are we in our pursuit of a discipline of studying the word of God and a life of prayer for God and for others? How do we approach the word? Because it matters. If you approach the word with ourself, the veil is very rarely lifted. Very rarely lifted. One of the reasons people really struggle with the veil, you know, they read the word of God, where the veil is never referred, where it becomes living, where it becomes revelatory, is because they are approaching the living word of God with self. Okay. Now if you read verse 20 to 23, now while, I was, now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people as well, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of... It's interesting. Day. He's praying in secret, and we hear about a God who sees in secret. Okay, we know this only because he was told to write or whoever the scribe was told to write. Otherwise, you would never know what he was praying for. But there's a God who sees in secret. Like I said, they don't have the Holy Spirit in them who gives them revelation. So what has been sent? The angel Gabriel has been told to go swiftly to answer a prayer. Okay, and then? And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have not come forth to give you skill to understand. Okay, I have come to give you revelation. Skill to understand. I have come to give you the revelation. You have read something, you don't understand something. You're going, you saw something, you don't understand it. I have come to give you revelation. Imagine how much more blessed we are. We have the Spirit of God within us who can give revelation. He did not have it and yet he fasted. He prayed and the Lord sends an angel because of the nature of his prayer and the nature of his study. And then what does the Lord say? Mm. Um, give you skill and, and to understand. And the beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. You are greatly beloved. 
it's incredible thing no you nobody knows you nobody sees you but you have a prayer life and you are in a word life and you're not studying for yourself you're studying to understand god his kingdom and for his people and god says you know what i see you and you're greatly beloved in heaven greatly beloved in heaven because we see your prayer life and your word life and you're selfless there's no self here there's no selfishness here you're a unselfish person and you're greatly 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 beloved in john 16 and verse 13 jesus actually tells us the new covenant people when the holy spirit comes However, yeah come, come he will guide you into all truth so we have a guide we have a guide who will guide us into all truth we don't need a gabriel to come we don't have need gabriel to come we have a holy spirit who said which is said he will come and he will guide you he will actually teach you in 1 john the same john in 1 john 2 and verse 27 this is what he says but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things that is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you you will abide in him says if you abide in him and the anointing abides in you the anointing it's again talking about the holy spirit the anointing of the holy spirit will teach us all things even about prayer how to pray and about the word the question is are we interested so we have without excuse when you have an old covenant man who did not have the holy spirit to teach him constantly going into fasting and prayer to understand the word and god sends his angels to give him revelation and god says you new covenant children you have my own very spirit do you have first the discipline of prayer and the discipline of studying the word of god two in your discipline of prayer and your study of the word of god how selfless are you Are you selfish? Daniel was beloved because he was selfless. How selfish, no? Me, my wife, and our two children, we four and no more. You know? You know how selfless are we in our prayer life, in our word life? Are we very carefully studying the word only areas portions which connect us, which is connected to our problems, how to find promises to escape or overcome this? It's a very selfish study of the word of God. So it's a study of word of God, it's good. Better than not studying the word of God. but at the core of it it is still a selfish study because that's where if you look at all the crowds and churches which are gathered you will see it's in the entire teaching of the word of god is directed towards the flesh how you can prosper how you can get healed how you can do well your best life now it's all directed against the flesh okay and therefore the study of the word of god is also connected with the flesh okay so you see first thing please start this early as discipline of studying the word of god and a discipline of praying and from there graduate where your study of the word of god is selfless you're not studying for yourself you're primarily studying to know god and his will for his people and and then when you understand your prayer life also changes you're not praying for yourself but you are identifying yourself with the entire body of christ and your prayer life is connected with that okay so you may not require that prayer at all you are you are a satrap and the king actually wants you to make number 2 you got a palace you got hundreds of servants to take care of you you probably a eunuch that means you don't even have a family you are totally carefree 
Yet you fast and you pray and study the word of God more than anybody probably in the Babylonian empire. What a man, right? What a man. So you see, everything is evaluated by God in the context in which we are placed. Two men may pray at the same time, but the context may be completely different. One man is fasting for 21 days because he's going through hell. Another man is fasting for 21 days when he's not going through anything. And praying for others. Okay. One man you see outwardly weeping and crying because of his troubles. Another man you will see weeping and crying in sackcloth because of others. Context matters to God. So there's a God who sees in secret and he says, Daniel, you are well beloved. So the first two. Now go to the third one. Please understand this. When you seriously, selflessly start studying the word of God and praying, it is war. It is his spiritual warfare. Both the study of the word of God and prayer is spiritual warfare. Because flesh fights the spirit and the spirit contends against the flesh. And Jesus made it very, very clearly. If you really come into the word of God like Daniel, then you will realize Jesus said, my word is spirit. The flesh prophets nothing. If the flesh is not going to profit nothing from the ministry of the word of God and prayer, it will fight you. Fight you, see that you don't listen, you don't concentrate, and when you go out to forget it, and by the time you reach your room, you are not interested at all to do your homework or read the notes you have, the flesh will fight you. Because it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle. Every day it's a battle. Because the flesh profits? Nothing. Flesh profits. It's, so to have a life study, life and a discipline, lifelong discipline of studying the word of God and prayer, which will actually lead to revelations and vision, that means it was war for him all the days of his life. You know, Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we know very well that we do not fight. Flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers, we are not fighting flesh, but we are fighting our own flesh. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but we are in spiritual, in real spiritual warfare. So the minute you really, really get into the study of the word of God without self getting involved over there or prayer, remember you have to contend powers of darkness. That's why you struggle. That's why you run out of words. You fall asleep. And you need to understand this is not normal. Because you realize, if I were to were to fall asleep by the time I speak for five minutes in prayer, if that is the norm, I should be falling asleep whenever, wherever I speak for five minutes. But you realize you don't. If I fall asleep and I lose attention track of mind whenever I read the word of God, then I should be losing track of mind whenever I read anything. But you don't. If I lose my concentration when I listen to the word of God for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, then if it's a norm, then I should be losing my attention whenever I am hearing anything. Whether it is on YouTube or any tube. But the fact is that we don't. So it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. This is not normal. This is a spiritual battle. So we realize, we have to realize it's a spiritual battle and be prepared to fight it out all the days of your life. Look at Daniel chapter 10. 
verse 2 and 3. Daniel 10, 2 and 3. I ate no pleasant food, not meat, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks of pilgrimage. Why? Because he saw something and he didn't understand what he saw. It was from God. He didn't understand anything. So he went on a three-day, three-week fast. Imagine you read something in the word and you know this is important and you know this is touching your heart, but you don't understand it. Imagine going on a fast to understand it. The guy went on a three-week fast. And it's a battle. Look at verse 4. Now on the, 24th the answer came only on the 24th day. It took him 24 days to understand something he had seen, but he couldn't understand. In our context, something we read or hear which we didn't understand. And then what happens? Yeah. On the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. That's when Gabriel comes again. Now read verse 12 and 13. This is Gabriel speaking. Then he said to me, hmm. do not fear Daniel, hmm. for from the first day that you set your heart to understand. And yeah, yourself, from the first day you set your heart to understand, understand and, to humble yourself, and you humbled yourself in fasting, in prayer. Your words were heard. Hmm. And I have come because of your words. Okay, and verse next verse, 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. For one person to understand a revelation of something God had shown him, there is a battle going in heaven to stop the revelation from coming to him. And this is a principality, the prince over the Babylonian Persian empire. We heard about we don't fight against flesh and blood, against principality. That is the highest order of a demonic angels under Satan. The prince, the principality, prince, principality. Can you imagine? You think studying the word of God is easy? You think hearing from God is easy? It's not what? You know how much difficult it is to study your own subjects. The teachers have to war with you. It is a battle, even for earthly carnal subjects, temporary subjects. Imagine what a battle it is to, to understand the word of God. And here is a young, he's not a young man, an old man, selflessly battling it out until he receives the answer. And on 24th day, the answer comes and scripture says, this is a, this was a battle. I was, on the first day it will be your herd. What does it mean? All these days I was stopped from giving you the revelation. There's a battle going on and read further. But the prince of the king of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Gabriel was stopped by the principality over and he couldn't. It was like a tug of war. Nobody was winning. So Michael, the prince over Israel, had to come to help. So it took two archangels to defeat the principality. What is it about? A revelation. A revelation. A revelation. Why it is a battle over the revelation? Because revelation, that revelation that is coming to him is very, very important. What is that revelation? The revelation is connected with the return of God's remnant to Jerusalem. And the last days. There is a war in heavenlies going on. Usually people should not know when they should return and when he is returning, what is going to happen in the last days. 
Here we are sitting here involved in prayer and study to prepare a lot of people for the Lord's return. You think it's going to be easy? We have to battle powers of darkness. We have to battle people to get their attention. We have to battle false preachers who are trying to take the people and grab them onto temporary things. It's a constant battle within and without. And I'm telling you from because I'm go out on missions. You don't know the easiest thing to preach is to somebody who doesn't know scripture. But if you preach to somebody already has read the scripture, the wrong interpretation, to correct that out and put the right thing in is almost the most difficult thing. And like if you, I'm, I'm not prophesying or saying or interpreting or anything. If you look at the horses that are released in the book of Revelation, the first horse is the white horse. I believe is the horse of deception. After deception has taken place is the death coming in, pestilences coming in. So the question is, has, have, has already the majority of the Christian world already been deceived? And now pestilences and wars are beginning. Once you are deceived, it is, you are so angry and you will refute the truth. You will not receive the truth. But onto a simple person who doesn't know, like a Hindu or a Muslim who doesn't know Bible, and they accept the Lord, it's very easy to teach them. Very easy to teach them because they are receiving it for the first time. But if you have received error, error, and then too you have to take the error out first and put the right in. And here we are trying Primarily, God's servants have to be involved in preparing a people for the coming of Jesus Christ. And there is this battle the church is faced in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 to 4, look at what Paul will say. 2 Corinthians. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, and I have present you a chaste virgin to Christ. I want to present you to Christ as a pure, blameless, spotless church, virgin to Christ. But I fear. I fear. Lest somehow as a serpent deceive thee by his craftiness. So, so the first thing he is talking about is what is there? Deception. The devil is there. The serpent, he's involved over there. Who is there? The serpent, the demonic is already over there. Who is deceiving you? Second? So, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Yes. For if he comes, if he who comes preaches another Jesus. So another Jesus has been preached now. It's not a, another person has been preached. Another Jesus has been preached. The demonic is involved. Another Jesus is involved. Or if you have received another spirit. Another spirit has been received, not the Holy Spirit. Another spirit which is mimicking the Holy Spirit. Another Jesus which is not the real Jesus. So you have the de- demonic. You have another Jesus presented. Another spirit presented. Then or you have a different gospel. another gospel is preached. This is the battle the church is involved in. Demonic is involved. Another Jesus. Another spirit. Another gospel. And do you realize how it affects your hearing? You're not able to hear the gospel? The gospel doesn't move you? The gospel doesn't move you? Because your hearing is gone. And that's what the Bible actually says. You know, when they say peace, peace, safety, sudden destruction will come. When you receive another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, all they say is, it's alright, it is okay, you don't have to worry, everything is in control. God loves you. You don't have to worry. 
all is fine. He will receive you just as you are. And then you try to go tell them, sorry, sorry, that is not scripture. Be on your toes. Watch and pray, watch and pray. No man knows the hour when he will come. You need to be on. It's a battle to keep your ears open to be actually be able to hear. It's a battle. It's a battle. It's a battle. Nobody will believe. I don't want to hear that. That's not true. God loves me. God loves all people. He will save everybody. It's almost impossible to preach the real gospel into the free world. Because in when it comes, because we, hearing from God is primarily, that is what faith is. Faith comes from, unless you hear, there is no faith. Real living faith comes from hearing. And real faith has, like I keep telling, has three components. It's got to do with the past, what you have heard. It's got to do with the present, what you're hearing, not from me, from God. Maybe through me, but not primarily from me, and what you will hear. Like life has three components, past, present, and future. So has hearing. In Second Timothy, if you read chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, listen to what Paul tells Timothy. You therefore, my son, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. And the things that you have heard from me. You have heard. Things that you have heard from me. Among many witnesses. Okay. If you look at words 1 and 2, he says, stand strong in the grace. And Romans 5, 5, 2, we know we have access by faith faith to this grace by which we now stand. So I have to hear now to stand in the grace today, while I also need to know what I have already heard. So faith has already over there, faith has two components, things you have heard. Stand in it. Walk in it. Believe in it. Practice what you have heard. And then, for today's peculiar situation, you may need to hear. Your life is the same as there it is today, then you stand on what you have heard. But if you are suddenly confronted with something that is peculiar, then you need to hear today. Because you need grace for today. Today. But that's not how average Christian lives. Average Christian lives like this. Let's you, 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 you go to a restaurant. In India, let's use chicken and let's not use beef. Okay, you go to the restaurant and you order chicken and it's chicken 69 and you love it. It is so yummy. Next day you go and said, okay, yesterday I had chicken 69. Let me have kadai chicken. Yummy. You say, wow, it is fantastic. Third day you go and you have some other whatever chicken you want to have, butter chicken. And you say, wow, it is yummy. Fourth day, you have a fourth variety of chicken. Fifth day, you have a fifth variety of chicken. Sixth day, you have a sixth variety of chicken. At the end, the, you and the manager are very, very f- friendly because he's also happy you're coming every day. So you ask him, do you get this chicken every day? He says, no, the chicken was the same. It was in the freezer. The chicken was the meat. Every day you ate the same seven-day-old meat. The only thing each day we cooked it differently. You know, that's exactly what's happening to Christians. They are eating the same word they have eaten always. Only thing you fry it differently. There's nothing new. There's nothing new. There's no revelation. There's nothing new. You're hearing nothing. Everybody is living by what somebody else heard and become a practice of the church and made it into a set of rules and living by it. There is nothing new. It's nothing new. As if God has stopped speaking. And the Holy Spirit is no longer involved at all. But the Holy Spirit is actively involved with the church. That is his job to prepare the body of Christ. 
and the church that is hearing, there's a church that always hears in Christendom in 2000 years. There always been a church that always hears. A church meaning not a particular denomination, a church in time, in space. That church is a church which in Revelation 22 says the bride and the spirit says come. Because that bride hears the spirit and they together, their voices have become one and they both are saying come, sure. Lord, here, this is what God is speaking. This is what God is speaking. This is what God is speaking. They're here. Okay? And we have to be very, very careful about it. Because if you and I want to hear, you and I will have to have this discipline of entering into our closets for prayer and study and seek His face. And it is war. It is not easy to get into your closet after five minutes come out because it's not connecting. It's not happening. It's a battle. Prayer is a battle. Studying the word of God is a battle. You have to win this battle. You cannot lose this battle. You cannot lose this battle. This is one battle. You Every other battle in life you can afford to lose. This is one battle you cannot afford to lose. The battle of prayer and the battle of studying the word, hearing. You cannot afford to lose this battle. And you have to take this very, very, very seriously. Very, very seriously. Fourth. Because both the word of God we study and the prayer we pray has to lead to revelation. Personal and or corporate. It has to lead to revelation. If you pray and you don't hear. If you study the word of God and God doesn't reveal anything to you, then it is it has become ultimately a pointless exercise. It has to lead to corporate or personal revelation. If you go to Daniel chapter 10 and Verse 14. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. In the last days. He's saying, I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the last days. Okay, so, so, how do you know his prayer and, uh, prayer and his, uh, study of the word was effective? It led to a revelation. What angel has come? We heard your prayer. We heard you this thing. Good night. Go to sleep. Now that's enough. That's not all. There's a revelation there. God is very pleased with your prayer. He says, I want everybody to pray like you. But there's no revelation. It's still ineffective. It leads to a revelation. What will happen to his people in the latter days? Now, in now, like today's church age, we do not need extra biblical revelation. Because scripture has already been given. But the question is, do we at least have biblical revelation? Forget extra biblical. We don't need an angel to come and tell us things that are going to happen in 2021, 2022. We don't need all that. We already have the word of God. We already have the word of God. But do we have at least biblical revelation? And this is important, especially young people. All the young ones sitting here, seriously, I'm telling you, it's very important. Because unless our mind, that's called, that's called the renewal of the mind. Until our mind is constantly and continuously and someday may be completely renewed by the word of God. We don't even know how to read anything. Read anything. We don't know how to read news. We don't know how to watch movies. We don't know how to read storybooks. We don't know how to read anything because our perspective is not according to the mind of Christ. Our perspective is different. We don't know how to even read. We have reading abilities and capabilities and language skills and all, but we don't know how to read. We don't know how to read. 
then I'm, I'm, I'm not just, just showing you a little, little snippet. Like when this coronavirus took place, okay, 2020, January, December, it started. They kept it hidden for how long? We don't know, maybe two months. They kept it hidden. Then it couldn't be hidden anymore. It became too big to hide, even for a Chinese regime. If it's too big to hide, that means it's really, really big. Because you really never know what happens in this country. If you don't want to know, they can see to that nobody knows. But it was so big, they couldn't hide it anymore. So when I was looking at it, it's some thing was reminding me, check something out, check something out, check something out. What is happening over here? Now, I'm not prophesying, okay? It's not my job to prophesy. I'm not a prophet. I'm a teacher of the word of God. But I went and checked something and I realized 2019, if I'm right, September, China celebrated the 70th year of the communist regime. In 1949, in the month of September, Mao Zedong declared China People's Republic of China. And 2019, 70 years were over. They've celebrated 70 years of Chinese Republic and immediately, like I am not a, I never majored in history, but I'm a history student personally because I love history because this is history. We study history too, you know. So I looked and said, hey, that somewhere it rings a bell. And I remember 1919 was Bolshevik revolution, the Chinese, the Russian revolution, the communists took over under Lenin, and Russia become the communist republic. And 1989 was the end of the communist republic, 70 years. And I look at the 70 years has been determined for your people, for Israel. Has 70 years been determined for the most two ruthless regimes ever the world has seen? Is this, is, is this the beginning of the end of China as we see? Is it? I don't know. Because 89, it began in the USSR, it ceased as a USSR, and by 91, it was completely gone. Is it the beginning of the end of China? If it is, it will affect every one of us, not like the Russian Republic. Russia's economy was not connected to anybody. But China's economy is connected to everybody. Everybody. It's the second largest economy in the world. And outsourcing is all. All the nations have outsourced their factories to China. If China crashes into and becomes like Russia, 10 different republics and fighting and infighting and new dictators, all kind of junk happening, it will affect everybody sitting here. Prophetically. We wouldn't even know which way. You can't even read eschatology anyway in the proper ways. You don't even know how to interpret the book of Revelation if that country falls. Because everybody thinks over the 200 million army coming through the east, going through Jerusalem is always connected with China. But if China collapses, then how do you read eschatology again? Okay, so you have to look at it and say, you know what, Lord, one thing I need to know in all this situation, what is that? I need to hear from you. Lord, I need to hear from you. So hearing is so important. Daniel heard. Daniel heard, and it changed our lives, your life, my life, everybody's life changed because Daniel heard. Because you take the book of Daniel by with the book of Revelation alone, you cannot interpret the last days. You need the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation to understand the last days. If Daniel is missing, you cannot read Revelation and interpret it. It's very difficult, very difficult to interpret the book of Revelation on its own without the book of Daniel. So one man had a discipline as a child to study the word of God, read the word of God, and he was absolutely selfless when he reached the pinnacle of power, absolutely selfless, fasting and praying for revelation, and God reveals through him, and you have this incredible revelation, and we're still standing on it. We have hope, we have you know, all that we have because of one man. 
because he chose two disciplines in his life. And that's what God is talking about everyone personally. How is our discipline? Because we have to hear. Everything is connected with hear. Because hearing from God can change. If you t- turn with me to Genesis chapter 31, verse 13. Genesis 31, verse 13. I am the God of Bethel, mm. where you anointed the pillar, mm. and where you made a vow to me. Mm. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of Japan. Three words. He heard. Arise. What is that? Arise? Get out, return. 20 years of his destiny is suddenly changed. 20 years is just living there in his father-in-law's house like a laborer. To change the entire shift of his life, not only his life, his household, Israel, and human history. This man hears, arise, get out, return. Like David will hear, no? Pursue, overtake, recover. He heard. One man and one old man heard. Arise, get out, and return. It changed the destiny of nations because he heard. And then he arises, he goes, he leaves all the stories we know. But if you come to Genesis 35 and verse 1. 35 and verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Again, destiny will change. He said, he had early, earlier, he had come to the promised land. Now he says, arise and go to Bethel. And dwell, there. dwell there. It's important. You have to hear very clearly what God says. What did he say? Dwell there. Dwell there. Turn with me. Let me give you that verse. Turn with me to Genesis 20, 20, 20, 20. Isaac, Isaac. Where is my Isaac? Isaac, Isaac, where are you? Uh, 20, 24, Genesis 24, and 62. 24, 62. Now Isaac came from the way to Beer Lai Roi, where he dwelt in the south. Where is he dwelling? Beer Lai Roi. He's dwelling there. When did you hear this first? You first hear about this place when Hagar and Ishmael are thrown out. And there they cry out and God shows them the water, they drink and they go. There's a difference between crying out to God and his eyes opening where you drink from his well. And there is a difference between dwelling where his well is there. Isaac is dwelling there. Ishmael drinks and goes. Okay, God is telling Jacob, go, arise and dwell in Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Dwell there. Stay there. Stay put in the house of God. We will have constant fellowship. So hearing is important. Don't accept this uh, Christianity religion has status quo. Hearing is important. Very, very, very important. It's important hearing. Because shifts, churches shift. Like last Sunday, if you heard Carter Collins' message in Times Square Church, shift. He said the Lord has told him to move on. So Tim Delaney is going to be the new senior pastor. In 2006, David Wilkerson heard and he called and handed the church over to Carter Collin. Now, Carter Collin was not a regular preacher even at Times Square Church. He was a policeman in a ministry in Canada. He came all over because an old man heard, handed it over to him. Tim Delaney is not the actual part of the church, of the Times Square leadership. There is Patrick and there are all the others, Patrick Perry, all the other pastors are there. But the senior pastor heard it has to be given to this man. So last Sunday, it's be handed over to Tim Delaney. And it changes the destiny of the church because one man heard. 
and there is no issues over there no problems over there everybody understand it this is god's will this is god's plan this is god who speaks and we are all servants to hear and to obey you know how important it is even in our own days and times to hear because we have a god who speaks if you go to daniel chapter 10 uh, uh, not 10 12 you, you 10 11 12 you will see god speaking to daniel about the end times his plans and things that are in the future about the persians about greeks about rome about the antichrist about revelation last days god speaks to him the whole nine yards things that are not going to happen even in his time all the things will happen even after we are gone we are gone what will happen god speaks to him but if you come to chapter 12 and verse 4 but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Yeah, he tells Daniel, but you, Daniel, you shut. You shut the word and it is sealed. You shut up the scroll, okay, and it is sealed till the end. Because this book will not be opened until till. You can write it, but I am sealing it. Meaning, once God seals a book, you can read whatever you want. You won't understand. The revelation won't come. It will not. It is sealed. It has been opened only in the last days. That's why now people talk about the last days, understand about the last days, because it has been opened only in the last days. It is sealed. It is sealed. And then verses 8 and 9. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up, sealed till the end of the time. Go your way, Daniel. It's closed. I don't understand. He's still, Lord, I don't know. He said, you don't have to understand. It's not for you to understand. In this particular case, it is for all you to write. It's not for you to understand. Seal it. And you come to verse 13. Three times God tells him. But you go your way till the end, for you, re- for you shall rest. You shall rest. And, and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the day. Ah, very personal. So he has a corporate revelation, and he has a very personal revelation. Go your way, you rest. In the last days, I'm telling you, you will rise, and you will get your reward. You see, Daniel was never alive to see any of these words fulfilled. But God could unlock it to others because of one man. The key was he selflessly sought God in prayer and in word. So I'm not going to close close immediately, but I'm going to come to a tough part. A tough part, key for the older children, it's okay. Older people, older in spiritual understanding okay understand this this is a journey this is a journey understanding god knowing god walking with god is a journey the journey begins from self to self-sacrifice hear me listen to me carefully from self where you're absolutely selfish to self-sacrifice to sacrifice of self self-sacrifice and sacrifice of self is not the same because first, when we are all born, we are full of self. Full of self means, our question is, what is it in for me? When will I get it? How will I get it? You ask any child, these are the three questions they always ask. When will I get it? What will I get? How will I get? When will I get? Because it's all about me. That's a self. And if we, at some point in our life, all man is born that way, if we don't encounter Christ, we will drown in self and we will die in self. And we will be by ourselves in eternity. From there, 
from self as we start getting understanding knowledge wisdom learning and all that different different no teachings we move from self to self sacrifice that is primarily religion religion per se is not bad it's good for the society more to self sacrifice in self sacrifice listen to me carefully okay self sacrifice is when we give up things we give up but we give up things which we want to give up when we want to give up and the way we want to give up and in self sacrifice we are in control during the entire process this is nothing more than works of flesh designed as religious sacrifice meaning we decide what to give up we decide when we want to give up we decide the way we want how to give up okay the what when and how is dictated by self there may be great labor and great sacrifice but the core is still self okay core is still self the third is what ultimately god wants to bring all his children to is sacrifice of self it is when ultimately we have learned to put our entire self on the altar of god we allow him to show us what he wants us to sacrifice he allows we allow him to show when he wants us to sacrifice and which way he wants us to sacrifice or how to sacrifice now he is in control and self is not now if you were to say i will do i will definitely do it only if god personally speaks to me then self has already taken over because very rarely has god personally first spoken to anybody he speaks to people through others in joseph's case his father told him in david's case his father and then later saul king saul told him in samuel's case his mother and eli told him in paul and barnabas case the church leadership told them okay be very careful people will say i'm willing to do all this if god were to personally appear or speak to me in revelation god says i don't do that very rarely have i done it to a few people usually i do it through others to see that how your self will respond so in the sacrifice of self god is at the center the what the when and the how is dictated by god we are dead to our choice in this matter and that is what it actually means we walk by faith because it's got to do with hearing whenever you hear by faith you have to hear somebody else speaking you can't say walk by her by walk by faith but the decision is mine it can't be when you walk by faith faith comes from hearing that means somebody is speaking and the biggest stumbling block to genuine faith is self is self see we find it easy to follow christ in the crowd the christian crowd i'm not talking bad crowd christian crowd like this is a crowd but to follow god it's easy to sit here in the crowd and everybody look at my face but to follow christ alone is when you go back home when you take a notebook and your bible and you start working on your own 
Now you are no longer part of the crowd. It's easy to follow the crowd, whether it's a crowd of disciples or a large mega church, whatever crowd. Both to the disciples in private and to the public who followed him, Jesus had the same words. In Luke chapter 9, verse 19, 18. Luke 9 and verse 18. So he's alone and the disciples come to him in private and ask him. Now read verse 23 and 24 what he tells the disciples. 23, 24. Mm. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Yeah, the first thing he says, now he's telling to them in private. The private group of disciples. The word says, you have to deny yourself. Yourself is the problem. You want to really follow me, hear me. You can't follow him unless you hear him. You can't follow somebody who doesn't speak. You want God to speak. But the question is, will we follow him if he speaks? He's the first thing you have to hear so that you can follow is you have to deny yourself. Now, who is he telling this to? Disciples in private. And then what does he say? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Yeah, cross is the instrument where yourself dies daily and follow me. Now you come to Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father. Okay, we know, we know this portion very well. Now, remember, both sets of people are following him. These are not hostile crowds. These are not carnal, secular, worldly crowds. These are crowds that are following him, disciples who are following him. To both of them, he tells them something. If you want to be a disciple, the, the, the core part of a disciple is the disciple hears. Otherwise, you cannot be a disciple. No. If you want to be a disciple, you have to deny yourself. So, private revelation and public revelation of hearing is that you have to deny yourself. And you look at Daniel, he denied himself in prayer and in the study of word. There was no self there. He was not studying for himself or praying for himself. Though he may have studied for himself and prayed, but that was not the core purpose. He had a discipline of prayer and he had a discipline of studying the word of God and he was doing it for God and his kingdom and his purpose and God's people. Therefore, he heard all the way, corporate and personal. He heard. So the question is, is there sacrifice? Yes. But the question is, who chooses? What, when, and how? Who chooses? Who chooses? Now we know from us the last two verses. Last two, and we shall stop. Come to James, James chapter 2 and verse 22. We know Jesus is the author, meaning we began a journey. Author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith. James chapter 2 verse 22 talks about end of Abraham's faith journey. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Mm-hmm. And by works, faith was made perfect? His faith was made perfect. At some point in his life, his faith was made perfect. perfect. He had begun his journey long ago, many, 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 many moons ago. Many moons ago, 
that you see, Jesus was the author of his faith. At some point in Abraham's life, his faith was made perfect. Okay, now you go to Genesis chapter 22. Verse 1 onwards, 1 to 3 is enough, yeah. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and mm. said to him, mm. Abraham, and he said, Here I am. I am. Then he said, mm. Take now your son. Your okay. Son. First question, what? What are you going to sacrifice? Who says? God says. What does he want? Your son, your only son, your only son. What is that? Represents his entire self. I want your son, your only son. Now he's not deciding what he's going to give. Sacrificially. God is deciding what he will give as sacrifice. I want your son, your only son. Second. Whom you love. Whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah. Mm. I will tell you where. You won't decide where. I will decide you. I will tell you what I want. Two, I will tell you where I want. And third, I will tell you how I want. I'll offer him a say. Burnt offering. The what, the where, and the how was decided by God. And verse 3 says, And Abraham rose early in the morning. Ah, now. Abraham rose early in the morning. And what does James 2.22 says? His faith was? Perfected. Perfected. His faith was perfected. Why? There is no self involved now. This is a son, his only son. He loves his son. And God says, I will decide what I want from your life. Because we very sacrificially give things to, you know, it's like children. We don't realize, you know, when a child has a toy, one toy alone, he will not give it with anybody. And mother will say, share, 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 sharing is loving all that listen and say, nah. <laughs> then Hadi, ah, Hadi. Okay. Then suddenly he gets a second toy. Suddenly he realizes, okay, the old one and the new one, the old one and the new one. And he looks at the old one, one wheel has come off. Here, take it. <laughs> Sacrificially he gives. Is there a sacrifice involved? Yes. Two minus one is one. Two minus one is never two. So we will see in, even in our sacrifice, we choose to give what, what we want. We also choose to give when we want. And how we want. There's much sacrifice. Much sacrifice. And a lot of Christians are caught in self. A lot of Christians are caught in self-sacrifice. 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 And as long as we do not move from self-sacrifice to that sudden... And God knows. Sometimes God doesn't ask us. God didn't ask Abraham all those years because he knew he's not ready for that. God also knows us. Okay, so that doesn't mean we cannot hasten to that point by constant surrender, saying, Lord, you tell me what, when, how. I have no personal stake in this. Your stake is my stake. No. No. It's not easy, but it has, at some point in our life, our faith has to be perfected. And the rewards wait for those whose faith is perfected, not in sacrifice, not in self-sacrifice. 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 And there is a danger in it, even for us people like Pastor Vijay and me, there's an incredible danger in it. Okay, when we came to ministry, we did not want it, we did not like it, we don't Okay, but we sacrificially came out. But now we like it. We like it. 
Because we get used to it. We like preaching. We like to study the word of God. We, we, we like it. It's, we enjoy preaching. The question is, what will you hear next? What will you hear next? When you are sent to somebody somewhere that you actually don't like. What you don't like. What you don't like. We all do. We all are very sacrificial in the things which we like. And we are doing it as unto the Lord. Which is true. Which is good. I still remember engraved in my memory 1994. First pastor wise words to me as a young man just in ministry. He said, James, remember, your obedience is never tested when God tells you to do what you like. Your obedience will be actually tested when God tells you to do something which you don't like at all. You don't like at all. That's when it will be tested. All the things which we do, we can, we like it. Like, we like it. No, it's not, it's not, it's still, it's good. It's good. You should do the things which you like, which are righteous, which are good, which benefits the society, everybody, which is good. It's all good. But remember, everybody in every religion does that. Everybody in every religion does that. So at that point, we are the righteous under the law. Under the law. Paul, Paul liked teaching, but he was sent to the Gentiles. Now, if you're a scholar like Paul, who wants to go to the gentle? Send me to the Sanhedrin. I want to really show them what preaching is. Send me to the Jews. I will prove them from the Torah that Jesus is the Lord. You are sent to a set of people who don't know Torah, who don't know Talmud. They don't know anything. He's not sent to the people he likes. He likes means naturally likes. So naturally we are gifted in certain ways we like it. I'm telling you, even though there is much sacrifice over there, much of it is self-sacrifice. The day and the hour will come everybody's life when God will speak. If you are a child of Abraham, you will hear what Abraham was told. He will say, and God is deciding to test you. Take up your son, your only son. That's yourself. And make a journey. I will show where, I will show how. And scripture records beautifully, early next day morning. He didn't delay, he didn't tarry. James will get the revelation, his faith was perfect. It's a revelation which eclipsed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Genesis 22 is written. Moses comes and goes. Joshua comes and goes. Elijah comes. Elisha comes. Minor prophets, major prophets. Everybody comes and goes. Nobody gets this revelation. The revelation is kept for James. This is when his faith was perfect. You never understand the ways of God. When his faith is perfect. So we have to wait for James before we will understand. There is a point in time when God will say, your faith is perfect and your righteousness is complete. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We are all in that same journey as Abraham, Lord, because he is the father of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the Jews and the Gentiles, 
who believe in Christ by faith. But this is a journey. And all of us are somewhere on that journey, Lord. Some may have not even entered that journey because they are still struggling to surrender their lives to Christ and be saved. Some have surrendered, received you, but they are struggling and surrender in so many areas. Wherever each one is there, Lord, there's only one way. And that way is narrow. And you said in your word, it's a way of life. And you also want us, very few will find it. So Father, we pray in hour and time like this, we will be watchful. In both in the word and in prayer. That we will start young, our young ones will start young, inculcating the discipline of word, studying the word and prayer. And then one day, you will hear, we will hear, we will, you will speak. And we will move further in that journey with you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We commit the night, the rest of the night into thy hands. And we commit all your children, your servants, everywhere around the world who are contending with powers of darkness, contending with the pestilences that are enveloping the earth. For your word says in Hebrews 13, 2, Lord, those who are free, be bound with those who are in prison. Because we are one body. One body. We are not two bodies. The free body and the chained body. It's one body. So we are duty bound to pray for those who are bound. And I pray, Father, in our prayer life too, we will put them first. Thank you, thank you, Lord. You brought all of us here safely. And I pray you will reach all of us too safely. Our trust is only in you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.